Well, I am going to invite you guys to go ahead and jump right in to Exodus chapter 32. We're going to be looking at 32 through 34 today together and seeing God work as the Redeemer, bringing redemption to His redeemed people once again. We've been on a journey, if you have not been with us before, um, we've been on a journey through the book of Exodus together. Because Exodus is, is, a, is the second book of the Bible. It gives us the story after the first story, the, the first story being that of creation, the God who creates. And then the God who, who in grace, he, he, he starts a, a, a line of people called the Israelites after his, his own choice, out of his own heart, out of his own love and redemption through the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And, and then he, he sends one of Jacob's sons into Egypt through means that we would look back and think, wow, that's really weird how that all happened. But Joseph ends up rising to a place of power to be able to bring hope and, and, and care to the multitudes there in Egypt, but also to his own families. But then the Bible tells us in the period between the ending verse in chapter 50 of Genesis and the beginning verse of, of chapter 1 in Exodus that 400 years of time had passed. Now, I know that sometimes we get caught up in that and we think about it and that might be a little better. I'm not really sure if you, it was hard of hearing earlier. But think about that. 400 years of time has transpired between a period of chapters. When you think about that, 400 years ago, as a land, the, the, the Jamestown settlement and, and Plymouth Rock and those areas, that's, that's 400 years ago. That's how much time had passed for us. That's how long of time. But in that period, they had multiplied. They had became a multitude of people. And that multitude had become a threat to the people of Egypt. And they considered these Israelites, these foreign people to be um, well to be insufferable and not be worth very much to the point that they were willing to kill off their children by drowning them in the river but God never forgot his promise God intended to keep his promise he told Abraham that his descendants would be in a foreign land for five for 400 years and that he would deliver them with his mighty arm and guess what God does he keeps his promises God does not fail God does not lie God is the truth. And here he, he provides this redemption. So we've been journeying through that. Now we're 30 chapters in. We've seen the Israelites um, preserved and, and, and led by a, people, by a man named Moses, but much more the mighty arm of God working through Moses' uh, leadership. And God demonstrates a mighty rescue. He, he brings the people through the Red Sea. He, he pr provides for them all the way to Mount Sinai, this place He promised that they would return so they may hear from Him. And they have heard His audible voice. And then, as we sat last week, we talked about the incident with the golden calf. Everything seems to go kaput. Everything seems to go wrong in that moment. And yet, nevertheless, in a moment of utter rebellion, and we talk about the ugliness of sin last week, that sin is disobedience and it's distrust and it's distortion and it's devious and it leads to a disaster if there's not a deliverer. We talked about those moments of insubordination and rebellion is what sin is. And yet in that, God goes far beyond what we would think is logical. He extends grace upon grace upon grace. 
He does not leave the, the sin and the wrong and, and the need for justice unpunished. But in the middle of it, he, he allows the consequences to continue, but He provides the means of grace for His people to still be His people. For His people to still carry His name. For His people to still worship Him as God. He does not leave them or forsake them. And so we're going to look at how that transpires and see how grand this Redeemer is in His redemption and what it means for us when we commune with Him in prayer, when we talk with Him. And we're going to see that through the life of Moses on behalf of His people. So I'm going to ask that you stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word. We're going to be in chapter 33. That should be on page 70, uh, 77 of your Bible. Um, and we're going to look at verse 12. Thirty-three, verse twelve. This is what the word says. That stuff falling out of my Bible, but that's okay. It says, Moses said to the Lord, "Look, you have told me, lead this people up, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor with me." Now, if indeed, if I have indeed found favor with you, please teach me your ways and I will know you so that I may find favor with you. Now, consider that this nation is your people. And he replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. If your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, Don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people on the face of the earth. The Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked, for you have found favor with me and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Please, Let me see your glory. Let's pray. Lord God, today as we look at this um, beautiful portion of Scripture, beautiful in our eyes because we like to see the the nice parts of your rescue and your redemption, we oftentimes don't consider the beauty of the parts where you show your justice and, and yet your grace in the midst of it. So God, today as we look at this, help us not miss out on, on, on who you are. Help us not try to plug our ears to everything you say. Help us see it all. God, help us to know what we are to do. And by it, help your people to worship you. As we have been drawn near and invited by you, a gracious God. Thank you for your redemption and this narrative, this moment in history. where You made it visible to us so that we may see. And thank you for it continuing for the very reason why we are here today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So as always, our purpose when we spend time in the Word together is, is a part of our activity of worship. Worship, uh, biblically, is for us to spend time praying with one another. It's for us to give towards that which God has commanded with one another. It's for us to celebrate what God is doing with one another. We do this through baptism and we do this through the Lord's 
supper and, and, and some other activities. It's to spend time in God's Word, which He has given to us to be among one another. It is to sing songs of praise for who God is. These are activities that we have. And so in this time of preaching His Word, we want to see why it's so vital. It's vital because, first of all, it shows us what God has said. We're not dependent on other people to tell us what God has said. We live in a time, and and we should be grateful, and we live in a land where the Bible is very prevalent to us in our own language. Even a modern-day English. I know some people get caught up on whether to have an ancient or older English Bible and a, and a, a, a newer Bible. I do not fault anyone that wants to read out of the King James Version Bible. I think it's a great translation. I honestly do. But I'm very grateful that we have one because not everybody reads at that level that is in the same heart as when the King James Bible came out, to have a Bible in the language of the people. And so that's why we use the CSB, and that's why we, our goal is to teach it and uh, to present it today in, in a way that's accurate and readable. But we also need to see not only what it says, but take time to understand what it means. What does, it says this, and, and I need to understand what it means. What is it teaching me about God? What is it showing me about who He is? It, it also tells us how it applies. Like, we see what it means in when it was given, but it has incredible significance even today. The meaning doesn't change, but the significance may hit us directly. And that's good. And then it calls us to a point of response, a point of asking, what will I do to trust and follow this? And as we see this portion of the Scripture, it is penned by the hands of Moses. It's authored by God. The whole Bible is inspired by God. All of the Scripture is breathed out by God. But this is this first five books of the Bible telling us who God is and how He brought about the beginning and, and the, the family of Israel and, and God working through Exodus, the redemption, and God providing His covenant and preparing the people for the promised land. That's the whole purpose of these first five books. And today as we look at Exodus, once again, this, this narrative about God as Redeemer and redemption, we have to ask, all right, well, God, what are you showing us in this moment? And I I would argue that if we were looking at a theme for today, an aim for today's sermon, it is to embrace the incredible gift of conversation with a gracious and glorious Redeemer. That we're going to see a conversation take place between a mere man, and make no mistake, Moses in all of his mightiness. Sometimes we look at these guys in the Bible like Moses and we think, wow, what a hero, what a mighty man. But he was fallible, just like all of us are. God, he knew the Lord and he walked with the Lord, but and the Lord did mighty things through him, but he was a man just like us. And yet he has this gracious and glorious conversation with God. A gift, really. And I, I want us to understand this so that we don't make light of intercession. We don't make light of prayer. We don't make light of this activity. I, I put in your notes that are there in the in the printout and also online on our Bible app. Um I put the intercession, when we, that's a big churchy word. You may not hear that very often. You may hear the shorter word, intercede. Anybody ever intercede for somebody? Where you, where you may not be the offending party, but you see a conflict between two or more others, and, and you step into the middle and, and try to work on behalf of the one that's most at fault. That's what interceding is. And intercession, when it comes to prayer, is the act of saying a prayer or saying prayers on behalf of another person or people. 
But as we look at this, we're going to see some lessons about intercession and, and it's this type of prayer and this type of conversation that Moses has with the Lord and that the Lord invites Moses to have with him. And so we've got a few points to go through today. And the first one, when it comes to this idea of intercession or even any time of prayer, is that it's intentional. We're going to go all the way back to, to chapter 32 and see what began this conversation where Moses would ultimately end up saying, God, show me your glory. He, he, he's interceding on behalf of the people. As we talked about last week, the people had come up with this idea of their own. Not, no one tempted them to do this. They did it of their own volition, of their own rebellion, to make their own gods. While the glory of the Lord and His presence was still being displayed on the mountain of Sinai, they choose to make a lesser trinket of gold. And then to worship it as the God and name it as the God who had rescued them from Egypt. It's a grave, grave sin at what they do because of all these things that had happened in this moment. And, and Moses in chapter 32, verses 30 through 32, he says this. He says, these people have committed a grave sin. They made a God of gold for themselves. Now, if you would only forgive them their sin, but if not, please erase me from the book you have written. In verse 30, he said, I was going to go up and, and, and go to the Lord. Perhaps he will be able to atone for your sin. Moses intentionally goes up to go speak to the Holy One, the one who had done no wrong, on behalf of a people who had done an ultimate wrong, an evil, an act of rebellion and sin. And he goes up for them, and, and he says, perhaps I will be able to atone for you. Now, now, here's the thing. Moses could go through the act of seeking atonement, but Moses could never atone for anyone else. Neither can you and I. We can never atone for someone else's sin. It is not possible. It is not a possibility. The only way that the Old Testament heroes of our faith, gained atonement was by following that which God prescribed for them to do and following what God had told them to do and doing those very necessary things for God to provide the atonement for themselves. But they could never, ever atone for someone else's sin. But Moses is going to seek it and find the answer in a greater way that the atonement would be provided by God. He would be the one to forgive. He would be the one to cover this sin. We see Moses seeking forgiveness. He says, if you would only forgive their sin, if, if, if it could be in the possibility, God, for you to see this injustice and nevertheless provide grace. It's intentional what, what Moses is seeking here. And then after hearing the Lord's reply in response to, to Moses' act and desire of intentionally interceding and praying for His people, this is what the, how the prayer began. It, it was not one of these, okay, I'm just going to go up and I'm going to praise the Lord. Or I'm, I'm just going to go up and, and I'm going to uh, give thanksgiving. It's just Him just laying down this, uh, we, we use this acronym at times, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. ACTS, that's also in your prayer area of the bulletin if you want to look that up. Adoration, confession, supplication, and thanksgiving. We use that acrostic to, to talk about the different types of prayer. And here, it, it's, it's one of those times, it's not wrong to go to God 
directly with your list, but it's, it's wrong to that be the only thing you ever do. But here, it's directly coming to God with the list. It's that moment, God, there's a grave image, a grave problem. I'm confessing, and I'm bringing this list to you. If only you would do this. And you see how intentional Moses is about this. Something that I think, I wonder if it's in our heart. I wonder if it's in my heart at times. How Moses goes a little bit further in asking for that forgiveness. He says, but if not, even erase me. Even erase me from your book. If, 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 if it's not possible for you to do this, take me away. Because I don't deserve to be in the same place with, with, with you. Blot my name out as well. This reminds me of what... Uh, Paul writes, and I think it's Romans chapter 9, it may be chapter 11, where he talks about the nation of Israel. And, and he says, in my heart, I, I would almost wish that if, if it could save Israel, I would willingly let myself be damned so that they may be saved. Moses, I mean, Paul writes that in the book of Romans. It's, it's a crazy desire. But here's the thing. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. No matter what we do, we cannot save someone else. We can lead them to the Lord and He provides salvation. And we should pray to them so that they would find salvation just as Moses is doing. But here Moses does have that argument that leads him to a desperate intentional prayer. God, I'm so desirous of this that it almost makes me wish if they can't have it, I don't need it either. Doesn't mean God will blot away your name. In fact, God says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to take your name away from it. Only those that were guilty and had not repented faced the utter consequence. They would be blotted out from the covenant, the promise, and receiving that which God had planned. But Moses goes a step further, not only praying for atonement and forgiveness, he, he in chapter 33, verses 13, he, he asked for God not to leave His people, to just keep them, to, to be the adopter. To continue holding that adoption. He says, now if I have found favor with you, please teach me your ways and I will know you so that I may find favor with you. Now consider this nation is, is your people. Help consider that. You've said they are, but I'm asking you to keep it, God. Please don't give up on us. Please don't depart from us. Please don't forget your adoption. Of course, God never forgets His adoption. Those God purchases, God keeps. God, those God loves and shows compassion on, He keeps that compassion. He continues showing that mercy. It can never be withdrawn from His hand. But here, Moses is pleading on behalf of a people that God had made a promise to, to, to take a people that had no future, no security, and to lead them into a place of, of promise and identity and community with Him. And Moses... He doesn't quite understand the grace of God yet. And so he's just praying, God, don't take that away. Please don't remove that. And I, I would venture to say, some of us are like that today. Uh, I've been there before. I, you know, God, I know you're going to give up on me, God. I don't deserve this, God. None of us do. If you bring reckoning, it's totally understandable. Because we, we lessen the grace of God and, and we pray not to forget us. I don't think there's anything wrong with that prayer. But we need to remember the answer to that prayer. 
is that God says, I don't. And I never will. I, I, I hold what I have promised. Lastly, God, uh, Moses prays and intercedes intentionally for leadership. God's reply was, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses says, if your presence does not go, don't make us. We don't want to be anywhere that you're not. And in fact, if we don't want to be like any other nation. If, if you're not the one at the vanguard leading the fray, don't make us depart from you. Lead us and, and help us not go another direction. The Lord answered, I will do this very thing you have asked, for you have found favor with me and I know you by name. I think that's a wise prayer on our behalf and, and as we pray for others that, that we would say, God... If only you would lead and, and don't let them depart or go anywhere else unless it's following you. Don't let me do that. Don't let them. It's a bold prayer. But we're praying to a God who can do bold things. I have often said at times after doing a specific gospel presentation, and so it's like the very reason I was there to, to share the gospel. I've often told people, even like I think some of the times in the softball games, if someone does not know you, God, disturb them. Let the gospel weigh in them so heavily that they will be disturbed and cannot escape the grace that is found in it. Disturb them until they find their rest with you. Some people often look like, you're praying God disturbed me? That doesn't sound very preacher and kindly like. But isn't it one of the greatest kindnesses we could bring to people? Is praying God wreck them until they find their healing in you. Because that's who we are. In fact, before we met Jesus, we were already wrecked. We just didn't know it. Until that moment of Facing the gospel. And sometimes we need to pray, God, open their eyes so that they will not go anywhere unless you are the one leading them. Intercession, this type of prayer, is intentional. But here's the thing, what it leads to. This conversation goes somewhere very unique. Intercession with the Lord, it can seem irrational. Because we're sitting there asking God for things that really, ultimately, we don't deserve. None of us deserves the grace of God. That's why it's the grace of God, by the way. It's something that is unmerited, un, um, unachieved on our behalf. It's God totally doing what He does. But then intercession leads us saying, God, I, I already know, talking with you as a follower, as someone who knows you, I am a receiver of greater grace than I ever deserve, and yet it leads us to ask for more. It leads us to say, God, recognize that I want more. And, and, and what Moses asked for, we sing is beautiful. It's, it's a beautiful part of the song we just sang. But think about how huge the moment is of what Moses is asking for. He says, show me your glory. Please let me see your glory. It's an irrational prayer because you think about it. Here's Moses, the one who was a murderer, a fugitive, And at 80 years old, God chooses to show His grace and glory by speaking to them from a burning bush. And then God chooses, even in His cowardice and excuses, to send Him to be a mighty leader and works through Him 
with ten incredible feats of strength that are mind-blowing. And then God leads Moses to stand and be still and show His glory and show out in the parting of a Red Sea. And God leads His people on a dry, through dry land with Moses at the helm. And then He leads Moses to be a provider and speak and, and, and make a rock provide water and, and, and these kind of scenarios. And then God allows Moses to be the figure on this mountain holding His arms up while an army pursues and, and tries to annihilate Israel. And then He's also experienced days upon days of the glory of God leading with a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of cloud by day, and goes even beyond that to consuming the top of a mountain. And so we think about it. Moses has something pretty irrational here. Show me your glory. You haven't seen it? <laughs> what? But here's that part of it. It's that part where we ask for something irrational and yet God invites us into something bigger than we could ever hope for to begin with. Once again, that's grace. That's the glorious activity of our God. Because Moses asked this question and God's reply isn't like, what do you think I've been showing you? That's not enough for you? He tells Moses, I'll do that. I will do that. You have an irrational request, and yet I love, would love to do that for you. I'm going to cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I can't even imagine what that's like. God has been really, really good to me. I, I, far better than I deserve. I know that. But for Moses, in this request, God is allowing all of his goodness to pass. All that is good in God is going to pass in front of Moses. And he's going to hear the name of the Lord before him. And he's going to understand that God is gracious to whom he is gracious and compassionate to whom he is compassionate. But Moses is warned though. I'm going to do this, but you're not going to be able to see my face. Because you are still, even though I have redeemed you, you are still in the fallible state of your humanity. And my holiness will be too much for your unholiness. It will be too much. You will not be able to live. But I'm going to find this, show you this little crevice, this cleft in the rock. I know you're thinking of that hymn song already. Some of you are like, there's a song about that. Um, but there is. And I'm going to take my hand away, but you'll see my back. But my face will not be seen. And it's this awesome moment that you see that this intercession moment between Moses and the Lord, it was intentional on behalf of Moses, but God also had his purposes in it. And then it became irrational with Moses asking for something that he didn't deserve, like none of us deserve. But God invites him. And here's where we see intercession with the Lord. It becomes invitational. That we see, wow, this is God inviting us into this. This is not just us coming and begging and pleading and saying, God, I got another bobo. Fix me. Or these people, I don't know what they're doing. This is what kind of Moses would have this opportunity every now and then. And God invites him in, in this invitation. 
But he gives them some directions in the middle of it. He says, uh, I'm, I'm inviting you to be a part of this and see this, and it's going to be a beautiful thing. I'm, I'm asking you to come up on the mountain Sinai in the morning and stand before me on the mountaintop, and then I'm going to place you in this place so that you may see me. It says the Lord came down. He, he, he welcomed this invitation. He offered this invitation. And he stood with them there and he proclaimed his name, the Lord. He passed in front of them. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that huge? It's like sometimes we think, well, I've got to invite God. I've got to beg him to come to me. And I've got to beg him to be a part. And I've got to beg him to do these things. No, you don't. No, you don't. God's already said that you don't have to beg for his power to accomplish something. Because it's already there. He says, all authority in heaven on earth is given to me. And now I'm sending you. In fact, he says, that you will receive power when you are my witnesses into Judea and Jerusalem and Samaria, and the uttermost place of the earth. We don't have to beg for God's power. It's there. Sometimes we feel like we have to beg for God's presence. And, and he says, no, you don't have to beg for that. He says, I already said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I've, I invited you here in the first place. And so we see this gracious, gracious activity of the Lord in the middle of our prayer. So it's a reminder of those times, man, that's something never to be taken so lightly as if God couldn't be bothered with us. When he's the first one that says, I'm inviting you to call to me. I'm the one inviting you to come near to me. And I have a way that you can do that. I have provided a way through Christ that you may stand with me for Moses, he was provided a way that he may stand with him in that cleft of the rock, that safe place, to come near to the holiness of God. And, and what Jesus is, he's that cleft of the rock. He's that safe place that covers us so that we may draw to the very near holiness of God. We also see this moment. The intercession with the Lord is not only um, intentional and irrational and it's invitational, it's also illustrational. We kind of talked about this a few weeks ago when God first showed his name, but he proclaimed it again in here in front of Moses. It says, the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations. Stopping right there, God uses a lot of word pictures in the Old Testament, which made sense because they were used to this imagery of telling a story. That's the way most of us like to have a story told. We don't, if someone's telling you a story at home, like grandma or grandpa, and they're, they're sharing that story with you, they say, well, let me write it down, and then you read it. No, they give you a picture about what's going on and, and what happened. Um, I, was, I don't know if I've told you this story before. I've been with you five years, so sometimes I forget what stories I've told. But my grandmother and grandparents, uh, grandmother and grandpa, they used to tell me all kinds of stories. And, and one of the stories they told me about was whenever they first got married. Both of them had a car, which in the early 50s was crazy, having a car. Um, and uh, especially when there were two of them. And so when they got married, uh, they had a 51 Chevy and a 51 Ford. And I know, I know you're thinking, GM area, you know, you don't talk about Fords here, but they did. And so the only logical thing about which car to keep was they decided to find a straightaway and race each other. 
And so they're telling me this car had a black top and a white bottom, and the other car had a white top and a black bottom. Uh, I think I got that right. And uh, anyways, they're giving me all this picture, and they're telling me about all these places, and I'm like getting so enthralled as if I'm there with them. Because they're giving me the picture. Then, of course, my grandfather says, and I lost because I wanted her car. And uh, <laughs> anyways, that kind of thing. But these are stories, and, and they give you the picture. Here God gives a picture. He uses words like abounding. Whenever they thought about abounding, they thought about a very fruitful, overflowing season when it was just good and there was multiple blessings, more than they ever expected. The multi- it multiplied. And that He maintains. It's, it's, a, it's an ongoing care, a faithful love to a thousand generations. If you could look ahead to a thousand generations, way beyond the horizon, that's how I love you. That's how I show you my care. But then he gives the imagery on the other side that his wrath, his judgment falls on those who rebel and sin and turn away from him. And that impedes and the guilty, they will not go unpunished. And it even brings the father's iniquity on the children, the grandchildren, the third and fourth generation that within those generations you can see what you do and how you walk with the Lord, it will have an impact on your children and your children children's children, and your children's children's children, to the point of your life beginning and end, you will see it. Because those are the only lifespans you'll see. But for those who love me, far, way beyond what you could even possibly see, I will work mightily. You see this illustration? This is why we need the Word when it comes to our prayer. Because when we spend time, it draws us back to these pictures that God has painted. And it's not us making up some picture. It's saying, God, this is one that you've already painted for us that I need to see. Instead of me trying to come up with my own little sketch and my little, you know, turning the etch-a-sketch knobs and trying to figure out the best way to work this out. No, God says, I've already given you the picture. And I want to remind you that in these times of prayer. I want to remind you of those in these times of conversation. That's why it's so necessary for us to have the Word as a part of our prayer life. Number five, intercession with the Lord is also instrumental. It's instrumental because it leads us to further worship. It leads us to greater worship. So after this moment, Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and he worshiped. And then he said, my Lord, if I have indeed found favor with you, my Lord, please go with us. Even though this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our iniquity and our sin and accept us as your own possession. You see, this time of prayer, it was instrumental in, in further activity from Moses. That he wasn't just going to God saying, God, you act and it's not going to lead me to do anything. No, it led Moses to get in that humble posture that he immediately fell down on his knees and he understood that I'm not even worthy to stand in the presence of God. How humbling and awesome is that? That I, I, can't, I shouldn't even be bothered to look at him. And yet, he welcomes me. The psalmist in Psalm 8 says, When I consider the Lord's greatness and the work of His hands, what is man that you are mindful of Him? It's that point where we come to that conclusion that, wow, I don't deserve this. And yet, I got it. It's mine. And and now it leaves me with this thought. It's instrumental in my thinking that I want nothing more than to be the Lord's. I can think of no greater joy than being His possession. To be covered in His grace and forgiven of this iniquity. It's instrumental in those levels. It pushes us. And if our prayer life is not pushing us to greater worship, 
I think there's some things that need to be checked. Just being honest, if it doesn't lead us to humility and just overwhelmed by the grace of God, I gotta be honest, who are you talking to? And make no mistake, it's not only instrumental. Intercession with the Lord is also something that's personal. To make the points work with the same alliteration, I said it isn't impersonal. Moses didn't just make it about other people. See there also in verses 8 and 9. It says, My Lord, if I found favor with you, my Lord, please go with us. Even though this is a stiff-necked people, Forgive our iniquity and our sin. Accept us as your own possession. Moses didn't leave there thinking, I'm just praying for a bunch of other people that did things wrong. They're terrible. Moses recognized something about himself. And he recognized this is a personal prayer that he needs as well. That in this time of prayer where I may be lifting to God some other person, you're also reflecting back on Okay, that's great. Where are you with me? Where are you in this place? I'm so gracious to you, and yet I want to remind you that were it not for my grace and goodness to you, you would be in the same state. Moses leads this point. He gets there and he's saying, forgive our iniquity, forgive our sin, accept us as your own possession. It's like that reminder that Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that if we're praying for someone and seeking God to work in their life, be careful not to try to take the speck out of their eye and forget the plank in your own. Prayer is going to lead us to dealing with some stuff that's personal because interceding is not impersonal. It's not. It can't be because it deals with all God's people. Number seven, intercession with the Lord is also instructional. As this time continued in prayer, God gives Moses specific instructions. In other words, this prayer is going to lead you to accomplish that which God wants you to accomplish. It's going to lead you to a posture of prayer. It's going to lead you to personally lay yourself down and and to come to those conclusions about where you are with the Lord. But it's also going to instruct you on what needs to take place from that moment forward. That in that moment of interceding, God may be calling us to accomplish some task in order for that prayer to have its complete fulfillment. Here the Lord answers Moses. and He'd already made a covenant with Moses before, but He says, I'm making a covenant with you. I will perform wonders in the presence of all your people that have never been done in the whole earth or on any nation. All the people you live among will see the Lord's work for what I am doing with you is awe-inspiring. Once again, that's crazy because they've already seen all these other things. What more could they ask for? And yet God promises more than they could ever ask for. God promises more than they could even imagine. But He says, observe what I command you today. He says, be careful not to make a treaty with the inhabitants of the land. He says to tear down their altars to smash their sacred pillars, to chop down their Asherah poles, these places that were polytheistic and vulgar and and causing sacrifice of innocence. It was a terrible, terrible uh, blight on the earth. 
what was happening. And, and God is saying, in the nation, in the land that I'm sending you, don't let that be there. Destroy those. He says, don't make a treaty with the inhabitants. Why? Because they will... He says, when they prostitute themselves with their gods and sacrifice their gods, they will invite you. and You'll partake. You'll eat their sacrifices. And it'll be intriguing. And you'll get caught up in that. He says, do not cast, make cast images of gods for yourselves. These are instructions from the Lord. He says, observe the festival of unleavened bread. He says, the firstborn of every male, uh, every womb, every ma- firstborn male of every womb, it belongs to him. We're to redeem that. He says, we are to labor six days, but it must rest on the seventh. Because we're to observe the festival of weeks and the festival of ingathering. And three times a year, all your males are to appear before the Lord. It says, do not present the blood for my sacrifice with anything leavened and bring the best first fruits of your land to the house of the Lord. He says, you must not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And that's just a weird command in the middle of it. I'll be honest. Uh, if you want to have a conversation about that, we can talk about that later. But then God says, write down these words. For I have made a covenant with you and with Israel based on these words. So this is what you're to do as a leader. Follow my lead. If you're looking for any other instructions, you didn't listen to the leader. It's the first rule to follow the leader, right? You do what the leader does. If you don't do what the leader does, guess what? You didn't follow the leader. When it comes to these instructions, God, we want you to move. We want to see what you're doing. We want to see your glory. We want to follow after you. And that means following after you. Listening to what you've said for us to follow. So that's a part of our intercession. Now here's some beautiful parts. All of it's beautiful, but this is just incredible that Sometimes I'm astounded. It reminds me that these things are not done in vain. That these are not just moments that are meant to be spiritual hollabaloo or checklists. That they have implications far beyond us. And that is intercession with the Lord is evidential. Verses 25 through 27 through 35 of chapter 34, you see what happens after this moment. It says that Moses would visit with the Lord. He was with the Lord again another 40 days and 40 nights. And God provided for him. He did not eat or drink water. And he came down with the Mount Sinai with the two tablets in his hand as he descended from the mountain. These new tablets, by the way, the old ones he broke. Some have joked that the biggest sinner of all the Bible is Moses because he broke all ten commandments at one. And, um, yeah, terrible, terrible, right? I just had to see if you're awake. I'm here all week. <laughs> but in this moment, something happened. It says he did not realize the skin of his face shown as a result of his speaking with the Lord. Moses didn't realize that the evidence of God and being with God was all over him. But the people noticed. It was evident. It was evident because he was carrying the words of wisdom because he had gained that knowledge of of what the Lord had said and and that spending time with God, it leaves evidence. The evidence was there because he proclaimed these things. He didn't take what he knew and just bottled it up. He spoke it and shared it. Evidence. But also there was something about his face. There was something about his presence that was just radiant. 
And, and what I want to tell you about this is that your time spent in prayer with the Lord is not in vain. It's going to be, need to be intentional. And sometimes you may ask things that you know you don't deserve, and yet God says, I'm inviting you to come know me in a deeper way. And, and I, I'm showing you what it means to, to know me through these pictures. And I'm instructing you on how to live. And I'm making this very personal. And it's instrumental in your worship. But I want you to know, time with me is not spent in vain because others will see that person has been with the Lord. That was the one thing that was so surprising about the early disciples in the first church. Whenever they would stand before these people that were had all the pedigrees and, and college degrees and all these things, they stood before them. And, and these were just ordinary Joes. People of the world would say, ah, you know. And yet there was something about these uneducated, unlearned people. The evidence was they had been with Jesus. When we spend time in the Word, when we spend time in prayer, we get to be with Jesus and the evidence is left upon us. And that's the gracious part of all of this. Intercession with the Lord is available. God says He invites you to do it. It's available to us. And it's available all because of that. All because of that cross. All because there was a God who is holy in all that He does. Every aspect of it. He is righteous in all of His wrath. And He's righteous in all of His grace. And yet on the cross, the offense of our sin, all that holiness, He poured out the full righteousness of His wrath and demonstrated the full righteousness of His grace. Also that before us, because of Christ, is made available an invitation that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And not only that we may be saved, but as the book of Hebrews says, that, that we can approach the throne of grace in our time of need. That it's an open door to us. Because it's made available through the cross. And the overcoming of the grave through Jesus Christ. Make no mistake, my friends, this is not something that we can earn on our own. And if you're feeling guilty today that you're not worthy of it, well, you're in good company. I mean, neither am I. But the one who bore the cross for us is the one who invites us. He says, I make this grace available to you. Come, know me, see my glory, and never be the same. Let's pray. Lord God, today, as we think about this time of prayer, I pray that we would feel the weight of it and we would see how immense and good it is that you've shown us this love. I pray that as we take this time of response, that, that you would work as only you can, that this time would be instrumental in people coming to a new place with you. And however we can help them take that next step, God, make that available to us. We thank you that it's all because of the cross that we're able to even pray this prayer. And because we have victory through Jesus Christ who overcomes. In his name we pray this prayer. Amen.